the Master Seminary uh, many years ago. Uh, I was uh, just at the end of my time there at the Master Seminary, and he was coming, and, and uh, we became good friends, and we were excited. We live in Billings, Montana. My name is Kurt Spencer, again, for those of you that don't know, and my wife, Vanessa, and our children over here. We live in Billings, Montana, and uh, we were excited to hear that Kyle and Sarah were moving here, uh, and... Uh, over the last year or so, um, Kyle and I have had, had the opportunity to get together. I work for uh, Culligan Water. I'm a lay elder in uh, my church in Billings, Montana. And so I actually drive down here for work. And uh, Kyle and I would often uh, get lunch together. And, and uh, uh, we would uh, talk about... Um, <clears throat> how things are going and and uh, just his excitement to be here and to preach the word and to love on you all and and so I'm excited to be with you uh, as we look at God's word this morning this morning we're going to be uh, in Colossians but before uh, we get there I would again like us uh, to go to the Lord in prayer Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to gather together as a body of believers to look to you, to look to your word, to teach us who you are, that we may worship you, that we may be obedient to your word. Lord, we are thankful that you being holy and righteous and just, worthy of worship, worthy of honor, worthy of praise, chose to redeem us. For what we deserve is your wrath and anger fulfilled in us completely without your grace and mercy. But you have given us your grace and mercy and you have given us the opportunity to know you through your Son, Christ Jesus our Lord, that we may live for you and not for ourselves, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the prideful way of life. Lord, I ask that you would give me wisdom and discernment as we look to your word this morning. I ask, Lord God, that you would open our minds, that we would receive your word. And that, Lord God, by the work and the power through the Holy Spirit that you have given to us, we would understand your word and that your word would go forth in our lives, that you would be glorified. Lord, I need you this morning to work in me I pray that you would work in all of us this morning as we listen to your word, as we study your word. Lord, may you be exalted. May you be glorified. Once again, we thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to look to you. May you be glorified. May you be honored. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, as I 
gather a few things here together this morning. <clears throat> I would like you to turn it to Isaiah. If you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. We will soon get to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 19, looking at the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. But if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet of God, speaking to Israel, writes in verse 19 of chapter 8. Please follow along with me as I read. Verse, eight, verse 19, sorry. When they say to you, consult to the mediums and spirits who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this world word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. It will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish and they will be driven away into darkness. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treaded on the land of Zebulun and on the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nations. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning and fuel for fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 800 years before the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossians, Isaiah proclaimed to Israel the coming of the Prince of Peace, who will one day bring salvation to those who live in darkness. Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God is against all ungodliness, for men suppress the truth. Yet God in His grace through the Prince of Peace will bring an end to the destruction of man. He will bring salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And as it says here, just what, like we have today, wars and rumors of wars, there will be an end to that. For Christ will rule with justice and righteousness. He will one day destroy the world with fire. And as it says here in verse 5, every boot of the booted warrior and the cloak rolled in blood will not be for fighting, but for burning in the fire. Matthew 4, 12 through 16, Jesus fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. For he is the light of the world, bringing light to the darkness Exposing the sinfulness of the hearts of men, of the hearts of you and I. Now, if you would, please take your Bibles to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Again, we will be looking at the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, Jesus our Lord. Follow along with me as we read chapters, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, Colossae, grace to you and peace from God. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the words of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as, it, it, just as in all the world, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved and fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our, Lord's, on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace 
through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Paul opens his letter as we have just read to the church as an apostle, a chosen messenger, an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He saw the risen Christ in Acts 9, verse 3 and 4, it is recorded. He was on the road to, to, to Damascus, persecuting Christians. Yet God opened his eyes to the truth. For Jesus is the light and life of man. Jesus told Ananias in Acts chapter 9 to go to Paul, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. He is to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, Acts 9.15. As we see here, as we've read, Paul is thankful to God for the church at Colossae as he is being praying for them from the day that he heard their testimony, their true faith in Jesus Christ, and their love for other believers. Their new life in Christ came because of the word of truth, the gospel. It is bearing fruit in their lives. He continues to show us his love for the saints as he prays for them that they would grow in Christ and that they would continue to love Christ and to serve him and to honor him. You see, as believers in Christ, we will, in fact, give testimony of the love of Christ within our lives, just as Colossians has. And not only will we have the testimony of love, but we will actually show Christ working in us in other ways. Because as believers, we have the power over sin. Sin no longer controls us as it did before we knew Christ, for we were dead in the trespasses of our sins. It is only by the grace of God and through the death and resurrection of Christ that we can have new life. Life that is not dead in sin. Paul calls the church in Colossians to continue to grow in Christ. They are to stay the course. They are to endure. They are to persevere. And they are to continue with an attitude of joy. Just as Paul was thanking the Father for their testimony of life in Christ. Jesus Christ removed, he rescued, he delivered the Colossians out of darkness and brought them in to the kingdom of his beloved son. And for all of us who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Remember, in the Gospel of John, I'm sure you have read 
John proclaims and Jesus testifies that he is the light and life of this world. It is for this reason Paul reminds the church whom Jesus Christ is. He brought us redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, man has been dead in sin in need of a Savior who could offer up to God a pleasing sacrifice. That is why Paul reminds the church of Colossians and you and I here that there is no one like the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the God-man in the flesh. He is fully God, fully man, given to us to show us the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 14 speaks of Jesus Christ being the exact representation of the Father. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Hebrews chapter 1 as we see that the writer of Hebrews reminds us that God spoke long ago to his people through many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us through his son. Please read with me as I read Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heirs of all things, through whom he also made the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He is perfect, righteous, and just. There is none like Him. In fact, Philippians speaks of Christ being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And God, being pleased with Christ, gave him a name that was above every name. In Philippians chapter 2, we see in verse 9, it says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus Christ, unlike you and I, was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. None of us at this point has been obedient to the point of death in our lives. 
The Apostle Paul is reminding the church, he's reminding you and I who Christ is. Who is this Christ that is our Lord and Savior? The Gospel of John proclaims his personal view, excuse me, in, the, in 1 John, John proclaims his personal view of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the word of life, and also in the Gospel of John. He is eternal life. Just as we saw in Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He was the only one who could offer up a perfect sacrifice unto the Father. He is the only one who could pay the sins, our sins penalty on the cross. As you know, priests for Israel would offer up year after year sacrifices for the sins of mans by, by bulls and by goats as a pleasing aroma, an atonement, but would never complete the atonement of our sin. It po they pointed to Christ Turn in your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews reminds us again of who Christ is. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. It says the former priests, on the one hand, exist, existed a greater, in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy and innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, is the perfect sacrifice. We were beset in weakness, yet Christ is perfect. He is the perfect sacrifice. In Isaiah 53, we also understand Isaiah prophesied that Christ would be crushed 
for our transgressions. He would be the perfect sacrifice to take God's wrath upon himself so that you and I may have life. As we look back at our passage in Colossians, we understand in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We understand this to mean that God is first in rank, in stature. He is above all. We know that he is not the firstborn. Um, as it says here, of all creation, because of where he was born. But we know that he is the first in rank. He is God over all. He is the God-man born in the flesh through the Virgin Mary. There is none like him, fully God, fully man. We know that the Son of God existed before the foundation of this world. In fact, we were just there in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. You see, this does not mean that Jesus Christ was created, but it means that he began a man fully God and fully man. And God has highly exalted him. He is above all. He is worthy of our worship. He is the perfect sacrifice. Paul goes on in Colossians in verse 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Christ created the world with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. We understand one God, three persons, one essence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Paul is reminding us here that this is who Jesus Christ is. He is the one who created all things in heaven and on earth. Things that we see and things that we can't see. He is in control of thrones and dominions, rulers, presidents, dictators. 
Jesus Christ is in control of all things. He is God. And it is all for his glory. It is for the glory of God. In verse 18 it says, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. As we see in the Gospel of John that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, but not only was he crucified on the cross, but he in fact laid his own life down. Man did not kill him. He laid his life down. They put him on the cross. He suffered by the hands of man. But he laid his life down. And not only did he lay his life down, but he raised it up. Conquering death and sin. And so he is the firstborn of the dead. And he is, brothers and sisters, to have first place in our lives. He is to be our Lord and Savior. We are to live for him and to honor him with our lives. There is no one like Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul reminds the church again, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him we have been made complete. He is the head of all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Brothers and sisters, we are enemies of God before Christ comes and redeems us. And now we are brothers and sisters who love God and serve God. Verse 13 says, when you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having given us, having forgiven us all our transgressions. You see, understanding that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, we know that God is holy and righteous and just. And not just any sacrifice is sufficient. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ. A perfect sacrifice, undefiled, without sin. to take our punishment to fulfill 
the wrath of God upon himself that you and I may have life. Jesus Christ is above all. He is supreme. He is sufficient for us as believers. As believers, we don't need to look to the things of this world. We don't need to look to mysticism, the worship of angels, or to any other created thing. We need to look to Christ. He is our Lord and Savior. He is sufficient for us. We know in Romans chapter 3 that there is no one righteous, not even one. Christ, who became a man, dwelt as a man, did not have the besetting sin in him as we do. For he was of the virgin birth, being fully God and fully man. He could not sin and he did not sin. To live a perfect life for the glory of the Father so that you and I would be redeemed. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, in closing to John chapter 17. As we see the high priestly prayer of Christ before He is given over and crucified, He prays to the Father He prays to the Father on our behalf. And He prays that the Father would be glorified. Verse 22, Jesus prays, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me will be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for your love for me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love which you loved me may be in them and I in them. God is glorified in us when we understand that Jesus Christ is our sufficiency.
He is our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to come to your word and to be reminded as Paul reminds the church in Colossians that you, Lord God, are fully God and fully man. A mystery we don't fully understand, but we believe because your word has taught us that you are the exact representation from the Father. And God, the Father in his grace and mercy, who has spoken his word to us, brought the living word, Jesus Christ, to us. So that as 1 John says, that which we have seen and heard and touched, we proclaim to you. Because Lord, we know that you bring eternal life. You came to live and to die and to be resurrected from the dead, now seated at the right hand of the Father, reminding us that your work is finished. We cannot work our way to heaven. It is only by your blood, only by your righteous sacrifice. And so we praise you, knowing that being dead in the trespasses of our sins, there is no way we can come to you unless you would draw us to yourself. That you would show us who you are and who we are in light of you, dead in the trespasses of our sins. And now as believers, we rejoice because our penalty has been paid and the hope of eternal life is in Christ. And we will one day do what we have been called to do, and that is worship you perfectly and completely. We are thankful that the righteousness of Christ is seen in us and we can praise your name and give you honor and praise, but one day we will be without sin. We will have new bodies where we can live and glorify and honor you without the entanglement of sin. And we praise you and thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. And we ask that, Lord, you would be glorified this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.